0: I always approach every single goal as if none of that stuff existed and that there's no ceiling, that I could go to, you know, the biggest fund and ask for any valuation that I wanted. Uh, and, that, and that's how I approach every single conversation, is that, you know, it's I have ejected all thoughts out of my mind that for me to achieve and willful to achieve what we've achieved, I'm at any disadvantage because I look the way that I do.
1: Welcome back to Series 7 of 40-Minute Mentor. Thank you so much for joining us. Before we kick off today's episode, I wanted to say a huge thank you to our returning sponsors for this series, Chipper Cash. We had the great pleasure of having Chipper's co-founder and CEO, Hamsa and Joji, on the podcast last series to find out all about their amazing journey to double unicorn status. So if you haven't heard it, please check it out via the link in the show notes. For those of you that don't know Chippercash, they're an African cross-border payments company trusted by over 4 million users, and it's widely considered the most valuable African fintech. The company has been on an incredible journey, and the team is hiring for some exciting roles at the moment. So if you want to be part of the mission to unlock global opportunities and bring Africa together one transaction at a time, then head over to chippercash.com forward slash careers to find out more. And now on to today's episode. I'm so excited to kick off this series with a real rising star in the UK tech scene, Christian Facy, the co-founder and CEO of AudioMob, which allows brands to connect with gamers using in-game audio ads. AudioMob recently raised an impressive $14 million Series A round, and in today's episode, Christian gives us an exclusive insight into their fascinating journey to date, sharing some great mentorship for any fellow founders or aspiring entrepreneurs. So get your notepads at the ready and tune in to the next 40 minutes with Audio Mob's very own Christian Facey. I hope you enjoy it. Hey Christian, welcome to the 40 Minute Mentor. How are you today?
0: I am really good, thank you. And it's great to be here.
1: Awesome. Well, we're going to start off with our standard quickfire round. So, if you don't mind finishing these sentences after me, that would be great. Right. First up, when I was younger, I always wanted to be an architect. Oh, that's a first. Good. Uh, any particular reason why?
0: I had an obsession with Legos and Connect. I don't even know if that's still a popular toy now, but I used to build things all the time, uh, and I always wanted to be an architect when I was uh, yeah below the edges of ten.
1: Nice, nice. My first job was.
0: I worked at Woolworths. Uh, it's now oh, closed is? down, went into administration. Uh, yeah, you remember, yeah, yeah. First job. I remember the
1: Pick a Mix, classic.
0: Yep, <laughs> yep. <Yeah, yeah. laughs> Good stuff. And um, my
1: biggest achievement in my career to date is
0: oh, it's got to be starting Audio Mob. I mean, I thought it was getting into Google, then I got into Facebook, but definitely starting Audio Mob has been my biggest achievement, I think. Yeah.
1: Uh, I can't wait to get into that as well as the conversation develops. I wish I could be better at
0: figuring out unknown unknowns. So, trying to figure out what I don't know so I could prepare for it. Yeah. That's a great answer. That's a great answer. My biggest advice is? Oh, it's got to be procrastination around financial tasks. So, uh, you know, as a founder, you don't, obviously don't have to be good at everything. But uh, when it comes to spreadsheets, financial controlling, I do it obviously it's why the company's doing well but um, it's the tasks I like to do the least so procrastination around that I guess.
1: I really relate to that I got to a point the first two years of JBM I was just it was a bit of the job I hated the most and getting an accountant in that could take on as much of that as possible was like a very big thing for me and finally Christian can you share something we wouldn't learn from your CV it could be a perceived failure or a setback in your career that you've learned something from?
0: Yeah, I failed all my A levels, um, and um, I uh, I pretty much had to retake everything really? in the space of a yeah yeah had to retake everything in the space of a year because I didn't want to repeat the year at Six Form College, and I just got into Kingston through clearing. So a lot of investors are surprised uh, when they find that out. You know, I wasn't a straight A student, didn't go to a good university or anything. And the way I kind of got out of that was adopting a concept of egoless learning. So it's just accepting that you know you aren't good at X Y and Z. Being more accepting of different ways of learning, and I've applied that to everything to get a first-class degree, to then get work experience, to learning to build games. Uh, I applied to everything, including how myself and my co-founder Wilfred construct and grow AudioMob.
1: Amazing! What a great answer. Well, AudioMob is an amazing business, and and you should—I mean, so so proud of what you've achieved so far. And it, I know it's been a really. Incredible journey. But I'd love to learn a bit about, yeah, the, the start really um, of your career. Before Audio Mob came, came around, tell us, our listeners, a bit about your career to date and, and what led you to entrepreneurship.
0: Yeah, so before Audio Mob, this is at the start of my career, I actually got a job offer at Google uh, to become a strategist. And I rejected that job offer to go into a startup. Let's just say the startup wasn't run very well, and I learned firsthand what not to do in a startup. And after nine months, I left hat in hand back to Google who gave me my old uh, job offer back. I always knew that I wanted to start my own business. And that was a great experience, even though it cost me some money. And uh, I went to Google and uh, became a strategist, ended up managing up to $100 billion, learned the ropes of marketing, ad tech, the whole ecosystem. And during that process, I started developing my own mobile games. Now, I was always quite creative, so I love hip-hop and jazz music, and I've been developing that, uh, not so much now, Scaling Audio Mob, but back when I was younger, I used to develop chill out hip-hop and jazz music. I love Jay Diller, Mad Lib, Chill Hop, lofi, all that kind of stuff. So I was developing games, making my music. I actually met Wolfred. He's an ex-engineer uh, at Google, used to work as an engineer at J.P. Morgan and Goldman Sachs. This was before the ages of 23, so... He's a genius um, and a great co-founder. Yeah, very impressive. Yeah, no, really. And uh, I met him at a Google Christmas Party back in 2017. So we became mates and I was just dabbling with making games, making music. Uh, he was getting involved. We are trying to create like a little studio that dabbled um, with uh, streaming music. I crossed over into Facebook to become a science partner. So that's measuring the true value of ads and how they influence people. It is not as creepy as it sounds, despite the... Uh, the news um, that you all constantly read about Facebook, it was actually really interesting. And um, after, you know, looking at the space long enough, again, like I always wanted to start a company and I thought it would be to start a gaming studio with Warfred that streams music. But we suddenly realized that audio ads could be a, a mechanism, right? Because if you've got an audio ad instead of a video ad that blocks you while playing the game, if I'm going to try and monetize my own game, I'm not going to send in 100 videos to make more money because then the retention will drop. But an audio ad could work during the game and then we figured out the mechanism didn't work so we were like "Hmm, what if we decided to start looking at streaming audio ads instead of music and you can see how this all goes together now and um, that's when the concept of audio mob was born and we were like this is probably a billion dollar idea it definitely could be a multi-billion dollar idea let's just leave and then go build something and see what happens That's what happened. I left Facebook, Wolf had left Google. We invested our savings into a minimum viable product and we raised our first $2 million actually. Uh, So first million was just before COVID, then there was a million after COVID. But that was making revenues of like less than, I think it was less than $100 a month or something. So yeah.
1: Wow. I mean, kudos to you for taking the plunge, but uh, it certainly seems like it's going the right direction. So it's always awesome to to hear that. I mean, before we talk talk a bit more about audio mob and um, you've you obviously mentioned Google and Facebook I mean incredible businesses to work for what were the most important skills and things you you, you took from working in big tech that you you've taken into your role as, as as co-founder of audio mob and is there anything I guess particular around your leadership style that, that has kind of been influenced by that experience
0: that's a really good question and um, Google and and one of the uh, mottos is you know there's a Google way of doing things right like the reason Google is one of the most Successful, most powerful companies in the world is that they build absolutely amazing products. And there's a methodology as to how teams are managed, how products are built, researched, and executed, right? And um, learning about the execution of a large corporate across every facet of the corporation, whether it's the product, the sales, The operational management, the hiring, the culture management, it's like pretty much every single thing you could learn from Google. And I just soaked that up like a sponge. (laughs) And uh, Facebook, a lot of Facebook's heyday uh, was concentrating on um, improving the methodologies that Google came up with, in my opinion, and if you look enough and research enough online, I believe that most of the large tech companies are based on the models and methodology that Google came up with. So, massive massive influence and in facebook seeing how two of the biggest most successful companies in the world are operating see the differences the uh the pros and cons of each uh each company learning that was an absolutely amazing experience and it influenced how we initially started up the company uh, as well as it's almost like being able to see in the future in terms of this is how a best company in the world operates and let's try and chip away at off so we can get to that point so yeah, massive, massive uh, influence.
1: Yeah, that's great to hear. And I'm sure there'll be lots of people working in some of those big tech companies with that kind of probably that entrepreneurial itch to start something. And it's so great to see someone that's kind of taken the leap and 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 had such success so far. I mean, you 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 are a first-time founder and first-time CEO. So, how how did you find that transition? And what have been some of the biggest learnings and perhaps biggest mistakes you've made so far? Because I think you know you make at the beginning of a, a startup journey that you know it's not all roses isn't it so we'd, we'd love to hear about your experience
0: so um i fell into the trap of uh you know reading uh all these silicon valley guys that write an idea on a napkin get a couple of million i think i heard of this morning actually someone raised 30 million with an idea and no revenue that was based around the metaverse and nfts so it's like you're always going to see this and it's definitely not that difficult the process of executing the vision it's brutal. There's no founder I've met that didn't have a brutal time getting to the point where they first raised funding, then went to seeds, to Series A, etc. It's brutal. But the decision to make the jump was very, very easy. I mean, again, I rejected a job offer at Google to go into a startup because I really wanted to just figure out how to start a company. So I always knew that I was going to do it. But in terms of the mindset that I adopted, so. I mean, I read a lot of books when I was younger in terms of, you know, how entrepreneurs try to, you know, get their ideas off the ground, the sacrifices that you had to make. And it was always instilled in me that a massive sacrifice needed to be made. Like I had mentors and, and friends, family friends, et cetera, that had gotten to a position where, you know, they built something, it was theirs, they either had an exit or something, and it was all via like entrepreneurship. And um I was willing to and, and, and some people used to think I was crazy about this, but I was willing to sacrifice the whole of my twenties in order to just focus on the exact goal, and by the time I got to thirty and I turned thirty next week actually nah, happy birthday. if I didn't get to what I wanted <laughs> thank you if i didn't if I didn't get anywhere near uh, to the goal that I wanted to do which is, you know start my own company, then perhaps I would have settled for something else, but yeah, I, I was just willing to make that 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 sacrifice for like ten years <laughs> so the jump for me was very very easy when i when I found. The, the the thing that I, I wanted yeah. to work on.
1: No, that's great to hear. And, and what advice would you have for anyone listening that has got that itch, is about to maybe embark on that similar journey of jumping into founder life? Is there anything particular that that from your experience that you think would be worth knowing, uh, say, if, you, if it was you uh, a couple of years back?
0: I would say there's always a way to validate what you're doing without building it before making the jump. And that is so important. So you don't have to, you know, do these crazy things on the sly where you're making like 10, 20K MRR while secretly working at a company. Like you don't really have to do that. You can validate what you need to do before taking the jump. In terms of, and I see a lot of founders do this in terms of, for instance, I'm considered a technical person, but I'm definitely the non-technical founder myself and Wilfred. I taught myself to make games so I can then talk to engineers in a more meaningful way. I remember I initially outsourced in the previous uh, business idea the financial modeling to someone else because I hated the, the finance part, hence the procrastination. That didn't work. So I taught myself like account like basic accountancy and how to create assumptions in the financial model. So outside of the validation piece, dive into the things you are weak at so you become a more well-rounded founder and do it egolessly, right? So you know, you could be working at, you know. Google or JP Morgan or something, and you don't know a certain thing, it doesn't mean that you should just find someone that, that can do that for you. It's okay not to know everything. And it's okay not to be an expert in the thing that you're trying to build. Just know that as long as you have some basic understanding that helps you get to the next point, whether that's building an MVP or generating a very basic financial model, so you can generate a total adjustable market, Just 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 know the basics of each of these different areas. Um, as you're seeking that validation so so important
1: that's great advice christian and and it really resonates with me my uncle was an accountant and, and when i set up jbm the thing that i just that was so just hated was the financials you know actually writing you know i didn't i didn't do a proper business plan but a big part he forced me to do was think about cash flow and you know be really rigorous in that first six to twelve months and i hated every second of it but actually you know there wouldn't be a business if i hadn't Focused on that area of weakness. So I think that's a great point. Before we continue with today's episode, I was wondering if I could ask you a small favor. We absolutely love sharing our guests' inspiring stories with you. And I can't thank you enough for being one of our loyal listeners. But feedback is so important. So if you have any suggestions on how we can make 40 Minute Mental even better, or you just want to tell us how much you love the show or a particular episode, then we would love to hear from you. So please head over to ratethispodcast.com forward slash 40mm and leave us a review. We really, really appreciate it. That's ratethispodcast.com forward slash 40mm. Thank you so much. And we can't wait to hear from you. I'm a solo founder, so I'm always interested to hear about co-founder dynamics. And you and Wilfred clearly work very effectively together. So how did you decide to split up what you you do? And yeah, when it gets stressful in that rocket ship sort of setting, how do you manage that conflict, given that you're mates already?
0: So my unfair advantage, and I I think I mentioned this on a previous interview uh, with one of our investors, is I have a phenomenal co-founder. Like, Absolutely phenomenal, so I've got a CTO that also knows how to sell and was the temporary CEO where i while I went out raising absolutely phenomenal that is definitely an unfair advantage that we have without question. When we initially set up the uh, divisions of the company, it was finding out okay in terms of my remits, what I did at Google and Facebook, and whatnot, I know that I can manage you know a sales division. <laughs> I can manage a marketing division. I can manage um, the people division. So basically, like all of the non-technical divisions, if you will, I would have a remit in managing. And because uh, Wolfred's got you know the soft skills as well as the the non-technical uh, sales skills as well. If I, for instance, had to concentrate 80, 90% of my time on the sales, which which I have done multiple times, whether it's selling to game developers or selling to advertisers, some of those divisions or the management of those divisions could be passed off to Wilfred uh, temporarily. Wilfred's a main remit, uh, and we did this very quickly in 2020, we had to make an R&D play. By investing in the R&D, because sales were disrupted because of uh, the pandemic, so we built out uh, a fully fledged engineering team very quickly, and uh, that—that's what Wilfred's been managing. And while it's you know non customer facing, there's uh, as many tasks as there are you know business meetings and decks to create on the sales side of the coin. So yeah, we we separated out basically technical and non technical divisions. Wilfred becomes the temporary CEO when I need to raise, and when it comes to conflict as well. Uh, whether it's depending on you know who we hire or a decision that is made. Uh, again, phenomenal co-founder. And um, I like to think that the way that I work as well is egoless and very, very logical. So for instance, like a lot of um, like co-founders getting into arguments, I just think is ridiculous, right? Because all it really, it comes down to is I have an ego and I want to be right and I think I'm right. Rather than breaking down, if we do this... X, Y, and Z is going to happen. And then we talk to Wilfred, if we do this, X, Y, and is going to happen. Then you take those variables, measure them up, which is best for the company. It is so simple. And I keep hearing that co-founders keep having arguments about BS, to be honest. It's very simple. Just take the emotion out of it. Yeah. Really like understand what each other are saying and what the variables are. And is it good for the company or is it not? That's it. <laughs> and there are times where myself and Wilfred have not been able to come to a decision that's what you have advisors for. Then you get the third parties in. And usually you will end up deciding something. And this could be done without emotion. You know, we're still friends, even though we have disagreements, because you take the emotion out of the business decision. That's it. <laughs> and that's that's why we work so well together. We, we never had disputes, arguments, anything like that. It's just been very logical.
1: It sounds, honestly, like the dream team, honestly. And I think what you just said there <laughs> is probably something that a lot of people listening to this will, will be probably going, oh, yeah, I, I really should adopt that because I see it so often, you know, just clashing over things that you probably don't need to and you're wasting a lot of emotional energy when, you know, found a life and, and building a startup is hard enough. You don't really need it. So I love that. I absolutely love it. Oh, ooh, sorry. There, there's
0: um, one more uh, bit of advice that I can give. I've given this advice to maybe four friends of mine that are starting up businesses um, or have started businesses is if you're working with a friend always approach the contractual arrangement, make sure there's a contract, as if you were complete strangers that didn't trust each other. Because then there is no ambiguity around what the parameters of the agreement is. And that makes things much, much more simple, especially when there's a dispute as well. So yeah, highly recommend you uh, approach that.
1: Great, shout! No, thank you, Christian. Great, great advice. And I feel like I realized we've talked around and about about all can you give us your elevator pitch? We'd love to hear just a snapshot of actually what the business does and why everyone should check out.
0: Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. So AudioMob provides non-intrusive audio ads in games. So imagine that you're playing a game and you're watching a 30-second video ad. It gets quite annoying, especially if there's you know three, four, or five of them. Uh, we allow the player to listen to an audio ad while continuing to play the game. The game developer obviously has to monetize you if you want to play the game for free. This is just a less annoying way of doing it. Brand advertisers see a thousand percent increase in click through engagement, which is great. And game developers see no drops in retention because we're not blocking the primary motive of the player, which is to keep playing the game. We've raised $16 million in total, uh, the most recent round being a 14 million raise in November 2021.
1: I mean, that is one of the biggest parts of your job and, and, and probably one of the most challenging. It's an incredible raise. So I, I'd love to understand a bit about how that process was for you, what were the, some of the biggest challenges you had to overcome uh, while raising?
0: There were multiple. Um, the biggest ones are, there's a reason that, you know, Silicon Valley entrepreneurs tend to get tens of millions of dollars at very high valuations with a lot less of a physical business or a physical product than, than in London or Europe. And um, it's the, I guess it's the difference between pitching the whole vision of the IP that you have and what you're going to build out versus orienting around your uh, MRR, MRR, monthly recurring revenue. So we learned very quickly that while, you know, getting to 100K MRR opens up a series A conversation or a little bit less, the real value add isn't concentrating on the MRR of what you're going to do in three years, it's what IP you're going to build out in order to justify that this will be a billion dollar business in three, four, five years, and how you're going to get to $10 billion plus, uh, you know, in in eight, eight, eight years or more. So that was a challenge kind of figuring out how to pitch more like they do in Silicon Valley, rather than what is more common in Europe.
1: And how did you go about actually like learning to pitch in that way? Was it, were you just talking to lots of entrepreneurs uh, that have raised in the valley or what was the what, were the, what was
0: the secret sauce? So we developed tranches of investors like you would the sales pipeline, right? We had the dream investors. We had the, the tier ones, two, three, fours, and then there's the non-strategics in our field. And, um, we then created, I think we created three versions of the, the Series A deck in over two weeks. We went to our investors, we just rehashed it, rehashed it, rehashed it until we had a story that we can go to market with. Then we tested on a couple of the dream investors to see what the uh, uh, the perception was. And then we, we picked um, a couple of nice to have investors and then maybe one of the tier one investors. So rather than going to your whole dream team first, we started testing out uh, our initial deck. And um, I'd say Wilfred actually made the most useful um, addition, which was the pipeline of IP that we're planning to build out over the next, you know, eight years and all of our moonshot initiatives as well. It's basically really defining what are we going to build over X amount of years to get to a billion dollars, not just to get to, you know, the Series B or the Series A plus or whatever you want to call it. So... I would say, yeah, the, domain, the main thing is that after you've got the Series A deck and let's say you've got a valuation, like the first valuation that we got was, I think it was like a quarter of what we ended up with. And you've just got to go back and refine your deck. Usually when a VC gives a low valuation, it isn't the fact that your company is potentially worth that much. It's, I think it's just because maybe you didn't pitch it in the right way. And what we did is we were just trying to figure out, okay, like we know that this is going to be a billion dollar company if we execute this correctly. And the valuations that we're getting weren't representative of that. So what do we have to do to prove that we have the know-how to execute that whole pipeline? So it's just these little adjustments um, that we kept adding. And then it got to the point where, you know, we got term sheet from makers funds and then um, a lot of the industry changed their mind and we got an extra 20 million in offers after that.
1: Incredible! Well, well, well deserved. I think one thing that you know we've spoken honestly. I mean, honestly, it's just so impressive. Um, I think one thing that has come up as a consistent theme. You know, we've spoken to Chuck Warner at Ada Ventures, um, Andy Davis, Ez Britain. You know, we've spoken to a lot of very impressive investors who, you know, who are trying to change the game. But the truth is, you know, a record-breaking 147 million dollars were uh, were raised in in 2021 but only 1.2 percent went to black founders so i'd love to get your your opinion as somebody that's raised an incredible round recently you know what do you think needs to be done to to kind of level the playing field a bit here and and make fundraising more or make funding more accessible to founders from underrepresented communities
0: I feel like this could be a whole podcast episode. (laughs) It could, it could. (laughs) I'll say the opportunities to to solve the the problem are twofold. So on one side, I've seen a gap across the whole um, VC community or impact funds that aim to solve this problem, which is the fact that if you've got a risk profile of who you are or aren't going to invest in, and that's a standard risk profile, like across any uh, VC. And then you've got the fact that you're only going to concentrate on a very small segment of the market, which is ethnic minority founders or black founders, for instance. What I've seen is that the risk profile increases and the effort of getting that capital is much harder. Now, I can safely say this, and I'm not going to mention the names, obviously, but we were rejected three times from a specific fund. And look how well we've done. So in terms of the risk profile adjustment, that needs to occur or the uh, the model that is used to assess the risk of investing a startup that drastically needs to change because, and again, I can safely say this now, we definitely shouldn't have got investment from some of the funds that we we approached. But on the flip side, and this is easier said than done, we've actually got a mentorship scheme that we've got in AudioMob, like the way that you perceive media right in terms of you know there's not a lot of uh, money going to black founders there's there's negative things in the media whether it's black founders ethnic minorities women etc the way that i try and approach things and again this is easier said than done because it's based on a lived experience but i always approach every single goal as if um, none of that stuff existed and that there's no ceiling that i could go to you know the biggest fund and ask for any valuation that i wanted uh, and that and that's how i approach every single conversation is that you know it's I have ejected all thoughts out of my mind that for me to achieve and willful to achieve what we've achieved, I'm at any disadvantage because I look the way that I do. And that is a very, very hard concept to adopt depending on your lived experience. But it's something that has been very, very helpful for me, whether it's getting jobs at Google or Facebook or, you know, raising this round.
1: Yeah, I, and I think that will hopefully inspire and resonate with with others. And uh, I think it's it's a topic that, you know, we'll probably do another episode on, and I'd love your input to it because it's something that I think we need to continue to talk about, and you know, change the industry. It, it, it's there's just there's a lot of brilliant entrepreneurs that don't get the opportunity to to build the brilliant businesses that they have because they're not getting access, and I think that's got to change. So I'm super glad that um, you know it's, we can talk about it, and and there's fantastic examples like yourself of raising big rounds from top funds and you know, hopefully building the next uh, the next unicorns. With big investors, and, uh, you know, lots of press and attention, there's also pressure. Having now met you, you seem to take things in your stride, you're very low ego, which isn't the case with all founders. But how do you handle that? Because, you know, I'd imagine there are some pretty tough days. And have you got any advice for anyone else that may be struggling to balance, you know, the pressures that come with founder life, anything that you're doing that, that helps you with that?
0: Yeah, there's, there's a couple of things. And uh, as, as I mentioned, like, let's say, for instance, the way me and Wolfred approach our uh, founder uh, business relationship is very logical. And the way that I think about learning anything, again, is egoless. And I try and make it as logical as possible. Let's say, for instance, the fact that I knew that uh, when we were going to raise the seed round, I've never deployed hundreds of thousands of pounds before. It's probably going to be stressful. Went on a meditation trip. It helped somewhat and then COVID hit. That was a whole thing. And then um, when you know, we're in the crux of COVID, you know I was at a point where I had to re- restructure the whole sales team. I was leading sales, I was raising money. It was very stressful and I was thinking, hmm, there's got to be a better way. If I could learn how to you know, raise money with Wilfred and, and generate a company, there's got to be a way that I can learn to deal with stress. So I evaluated a company called uh, Wemby who we're using right now and they do tailored counseling and therapy sessions for employees. I tested it out for six weeks best thing I've ever done in terms of that there, there's a way that you maintain uh, the frame of a CEO where you kind of hide the stresses because you need to be the anchor for your whole team but then there's a way where you actually deal and release the stress which I now do and to be honest like with the amount of stresses that have happened since you know raising this raising the series A in terms of you know being or traveling to five countries this month in terms of you know, hiring, dealing with the new elevated stature of, you know, where we're at with the press and whatnot. It doesn't stress me out at all now, because I've just got ways of dealing with the stress better. And the other point is that I know that I'm trying my absolute hardest to be the best that I could be to scale the company. And that kind of relaxes me knowing that I'm doing all that I could possibly do.
1: Awesome. Uh, thanks. Thanks for sharing that, Christian. I feel like there's, there's hundreds of more questions that I'd like to ask. I feel like there's going to be a round two for, for you, uh, uh, especially because uh, I'm very excited about what the year ahead looks like. But we're, we're, we're sadly at our wrap-up question. So in one sentence, what do you think the future holds for
0: mob? The future for AudioMob, I would say exponential growth and industry-changing activity. Uh, like we're literally creating a new category, so that that's all, what I see in our future.
1: Love it. And at the end of your career, what would you like to be
0: remembered for? No one's ever asked me that before, actually. Uh, um, <laughs> what I want to be remembered for, I would want to be remembered for scaling a company and inspiring founders to scale their companies in the right way. That's that's what I'd like to be remembered for.
1: Awesome. And this is the 40-minute mentor. Have you got a mentor? And if you could be mentored by one person, dead or alive, who would that be and why?
0: Yeah, so I have uh, two mentors. These are personal mentors outside of work. Uh, they're Suzanne Parks and Kuldak Cooler uh, Both very established, have exits, are basically retired at this point. They've been mentoring me since I was 17. I'd say I have all the mentors that I need, to be honest. Uh, It's been working all right so far for me. But if there's someone dead or or alive, this this one's a bit out there. But I really think Elon Musk would be a very interesting mentor to have in terms of he approaches things very differently to any other CEO that I've ever seen.
1: yeah Yeah. no fair fair play you might not like him but you can't help but be impressed with what he's achieved you know i think he's a a bit of a divisive character but you certainly would learn a lot from being mentored by him so i totally get that and finally christian and what one final piece of advice whether it's life advice or business advice would you like to leave our listeners with
0: when it comes to work-life balance because that's the thing that tends to get into in the way of trying to exit a company and start your own thing up Ruth Porat mentioned, I read this in a Forbes article like years ago, is in her view, uh, I might be paraphrasing here, there is no work-life balance. Uh, work is a way of life, like when you're doing something you love. And the way that I I took that on board was that, you know, that for, for me, I will happily work six and a half days a week and take half a day off because I really love what I'm doing. Other people that I've met will need to take one whole day off uh, a week. Other people well, like some of my mentors, for instance, they'll work and work and work and take maybe a four-week holiday off every two years. So, when it comes to work-life balance, I'd say don't concentrate on what is generally a good work-life balance, but try and find a yardstick for how much you can work and what your work-life balance is, and that should help you assign the right amount of time that you're comfortable with to, to pursue your goals.
1: Awesome, uh, Kristen, It's been a real pleasure. Thank you for joining us on the 40 Minute Mentor and all the best for the year ahead. I'm very excited for what you and the AudioMob team are going to do. I think it's going to be an amazing year. So all the best for it. Thanks so much.
0: Appreciate it, James. Thank you. Cheers.
1: What an impressive and humble founder Christian is. And if you're an aspiring entrepreneur, I'm sure his advice on fundraising will come in handy as he's proved very good at raising capital. There was so much in this episode that inspired and resonated with me, like how he overcame failure at school by resetting his mindset, and he ultimately ended up working for some of the best tech companies around. I also loved how he talked about taking emotion out of making big decisions with his co-founder, focusing on what was right for the business, and therefore avoiding conflict and protecting their friendship. It's simple, but genius, and I think I and many other people listening to this could probably take a lot from that. I cannot wait to see where Christian and the team take audio mob next, but I'm pretty sure they're a unicorn in the making. So watch this space. That's all from us today, but it's only the beginning of a brilliant series ahead. So make sure you come back next week for episode two with one of Europe's top women in tech. Any ideas who it can be? See you then and have a great rest of your week.